I'll tell you what, he does a very, very difficult thing, um, and I appreciate him, I appreciate his boldness, but uh, he travels around and tries to overcome this whole idea of evolution and stuff that's trying to overcome this world, and, and many other things, but uh, for somebody that has the courage like him, and Brian, sorry, I know you're, you're humbled as well, but uh, I do appreciate uh, your boldness for spreading the gospel, and uh, uh, just, uh, I don't know, if you might talk to him as well, uh, and even go online, you can watch uh, his debates that he takes on uh, all these uh, evolution and stuff. He goes into liberal universities and sits with probably a fairly hostile crowd half the time and, and uh, is able to uh, debate uh, evolutionists and, and trying to let the whole world know that there is a God that uh, certainly did create us. And that's what he's going to talk about today is this whole idea of, of reproduction. So I've never heard this, this one before, so I'm looking forward to it. So I hope you guys are as well. So Brian, would you come up and share this with us? Thanks. You bet. Thank you. Well, I've got a, a little cold here, so I need to apologize for my uh, uh, terrible sounding voice here this morning, but we are going to talk about something that you, you probably don't get to hear a whole lot about in churches. Um, my wife asked me here a couple weeks ago what I was going to speak on, and I just told her, uteruses. And she said, what? And I said, yeah, uteruses. We're, we're going to talk about the process of birth this morning. This is the one that we're going to start with. This is when I was a, a little boy, but um, <laughs> not much has changed. Anyway. A lot of different health warnings. This is one that came across my desk here a long time ago. Maybe some of you have seen this before. Um, it's a health warning not to swallow bubble gum. And uh, I figured, as long as we're being inappropriate this morning and talking about uteruses, I might as well throw that in too. Actually, on this next slide you do see, though, there is a health warning that we're giving you here today. And that health warning is this, is that many people do not understand that in our society, that in the womb, that is a child. A child that is loved by God, a child that is in need of a Savior, ultimately, that Jesus is for everybody. And today we're, we're killing children, and, and this isn't a, a pro-life message this morning, but it does tie into that. We're killing our children because we don't understand the value and the sanctity of life. And so there is a health warning, and I want to talk about the process of birth this morning, not only so that you can know that all the, the women that we have here that are pregnant this morning, as well as just you yourselves, we're created for a purpose, and it's not an accident that you are here. You see, the Bible tells us in Psalm 139, For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I love that verse, and we hear that verse all the time, talking about being knit together. But what's neat about that is that there is a very literal truth to that. Do you know that our skin is made of collagen fibers? And those collagen fibers are actually even stronger than steel. Yet, even though they're stronger than steel, yet it's not, steel is more elastic than our skin is. And you say, well, that can't be because my skin stretches. Well, it's very real because the very literal knitting pattern that God has placed in us, in the womb, those collagen fibers are knit together, not only in each little, almost like a fiber optic thing, but because of that, it allows that something that is not even as elastic as steel, to stretch. Now, is that an accident? That something like that could happen? Not a chance. This is God's design that we're seeing very clearly. Now, in the process of, of birth, when we are knitted together in our mother's womb, there are so many things that have to be just right in order for this whole process to take place. You know, we talk about the miracle of birth, and sometimes I think that we think it's just because, wow, isn't that amazing? I've got a child. There are so many miracles that go on in the process of birth that I don't even think we realize it. And we're not even going to, we're just going to scratch the surface of them this morning. 
The first thing that you can see here is a big picture of a uterus. Like I said, probably not something that you're used to seeing in church, but bottom line is, is on each side of that uterus, we've got these oviducts that go down. Underneath those oviducts, those little gray little balls, are the ovaries. Those ovaries are neat because every 28 days, that ovary is going to release eggs. Now, if one ovary is injured for some reason, the other ovary for whatever reason, just knows something was wrong, and it will start uh, releasing the eggs. So one month, one ovary releases an egg. The, the next month, the other one. And they go back and forth. Unless there's an injury, then the one takes over every month. Again, that's pretty impressive. Now, there's even a little catcher's glove there, that little thing that looks like it's about to come over top of that ovary. When that egg is released, there's no watch in there, but... By some chance, it knows when that is about to be released, and that catcher's glove comes over top of the ovary and catches very softly those eggs that are released. They're not connected. It literally catches those eggs before they will go up into those oviducts. Great timing. A baby girl, when she is born, do you know that a baby girl already has about 400,000 eggs inside of her? Yeah, already that baby has 400,000 eggs. What that means is, is when we kill our children in abortions today, you're not just killing that child, but you're killing a possibility of 400 other thousand children. Whole generations are being destroyed in abortions today. If that egg is not fertilized, the body is going to, it has to get rid of these things, but each one of these that does not fertilize, it leaves a scar tissue inside of the woman. Can you imagine 400,000 eggs leaving scar tissue inside the body? A woman should be just a walking mass of scar tissue. But she's not. Why? Because there is an enzyme that the body produces that if that egg is not fertilized, will dissolve that. It dissolves the scar tissue. Doctors would love to know how this is done. But you know we can't do this today? But by some accident... The body just knows how to get rid of the scar tissue. That egg, where is it fertilized? It's fertilized inside that oviduct. It goes from that uterus, the catcher's glove catches it, and then it starts moving down through the oviducts towards the uterus there. Now, contrary to popular belief, sperm do not swim. We, we always think, you know, we see in the movies and whatnot, you know, look at the baby talking movie, whatever that was, these... You know, sperm are swimming up to get to the egg. That's not how it works. As a matter of fact, the egg is being pushed by muscles down that oviduct. At the same time, the sperm has to get to the egg, but yet that's like going against the flow. The muscles are pushing it, so how does that sperm go against the flow of the muscles pushing the egg to the, through the oviduct there? Well, it's very simple because there are these cilia that are lining that oviduct. They're just tiny little microscopic hairs, so small that a microscope can't even pick up just one of them. I mean, that's uh, you can see on the top, there's hundreds of them. And that's a microscopic view. But it's kind of like that, I don't know if they call it the mosh pit or whatever, when people jump in and, and they're getting moved along by hands. That's what happens, and that's how the sperm gets to the egg. Not by swimming, but by all these little hands carrying it to meet the egg. There's three basic steps here that we can see. Step number one, phase one they're calling up here. When that sperm meets the egg, amazing things have to happen in order for you to be here. First of all, that sperm produces an enzyme that dissolves this outside cumulus shell on that egg. 
Otherwise, it couldn't get in there. But that sperm produces this enzyme. It starts to eat away that cumulus. And so it can get in towards that. But then there's a second wall that it has to get past here in phase two. And a separate enzyme, completely different. By the way, you, you don't have any time to evolve a completely different enzyme here, do you? No, but it's already there. That enzyme then produces another thing to break down the barrier of that second wall. And then there's a third check process that has to take place in phase three. And what happens there is the egg is going to check for the proper species. If it's not the right species, that egg are going to allow the sperm to get into the egg. This is why when the Bible says things reproduce after their own kind, that's what we see is things only reproduce after their kind because the egg makes sure only the right species lets that sperm in. It's a great design. Now, if it is the proper species, the egg opens up and it allows that sperm to get inside the egg. And immediately, as soon as that egg gets inside, or the sperm gets inside the egg, boom, there are some granules that explode, creating a hard case so that no other sperm can get into that egg. Good timing or God's timing that this happens. This is not an accident, folks. This is something that God had to create. We don't have millions of years of evolution to get these processes to take place. Everything had to be just right. And like I said, we're only scratching the surface of all the amazing things that have to go on in the order for, for birth to take place. Now, within the first 24 hours, usually, is when that egg is fertilized. 30 hours, we have this you know, double cells there. You can see it circled in red. Now, again, how does the egg continue to move through? We've got the muscles and things, but it would just spin if it wasn't for the, the oviduct being lined with this sticky substance that allows it to move through there. Now, at 30 hours, when you have this two-celled child, I want you to understand something. That is what you looked like when you were 30 hours old. We often think, well, that's not a baby. No, that is a baby. That is what you looked like. We had a very similar appearance at a certain stage in life. You know, sometimes when you're a day old, some people think all babies, most babies look a lot alike, right? Well, yeah, we all look a lot alike at a certain point in our development. And so depending on our age, we look differently. Some of you here are 70, 80 years old. You look a lot different than you did when you were 12 or 13. And likewise, those of you who are 12 or 13 look a lot different than you do when you were like only 30 hours old. That is a baby. You can see up top here that first division. That is what you looked like at that stage. Now, actually, before I go on here, you can see then it moves down about four and a half to five days. We get what is called this blastocyst. Now, technically, it's a blastocyst a little bit before that, but this is the early blastocyst stage. That's what you looked like at about five days old circled there in blue. I know, not very pretty, but that is you. Now, that is a, a mass of cells that we're taught today. That's all it is, just a mass of cells. You get rid of that, no big deal. It's just like shedding some skin. No, that's you. That is a child. That's a life right there. Psalm 51.5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, which, by the way, is about four days prior to this. God knew you and loved you when you looked like that. You can see that that blastocyst, that mass of cells there, is separated by this other part. That is called the cytotrophoblast. 
Now, what that is, is that's going to become your placenta for the woman. And notice that it is kept separate. Why? Because if it wasn't, you wouldn't be here, and maybe mom wouldn't be here either. Because, you see, every individual baby can have an individual DNA, does have an individual DNA, an individual fingerprint, an individual blood type, and sometimes that blood type is poisonous to the mother. And so it has to keep it separate. Or else the mother could die or you could die because it's a poison. So that cytotrophoblast is amazing. That placental area is, is it's kind of like being plugged in to an outlet. You're the stereo being plugged into the mother through that placenta. A, a chicken or a duck or something like that, it's more like a battery because they're not plugged into the mother, it's in the yolk. The yolk is the energy source. It's like a battery, but we're not like that. You can see here the placenta at 40 days. You can see the baby inside there. And it is a seamless uh, separation between the two. And as I said, one of the reasons is to keep everything separate so that the mother's blood type doesn't contaminate the baby and the baby's blood type doesn't contaminate the mother. Or death could ensue. Again, happy accident that this just happened to be separate? Not at all. And so you can see kind of outside all those little tree-like things there. That is basically the blood flow of the mother is going to go around that. And nutrients are captured from the mother's blood, taken then through the placenta, and then absorbed into the baby. One of the sad things is, is that in most, most things are kept away. You know, the blood type is kept separate. But there are certain things that can go through that placental wall. Things like drugs and alcohol. Which is why a mother, when she is pregnant, should not be smoking and drinking and doing drugs and things like that because it does go through and it gets to the baby. Just as the nutrients would get to the baby, so do those things as well. But one cannot re remove any of these enzymes. One can't remove any of these parts of this thing being separate or being able to get nutrients through the placental wall without death ensuing. Again, this is an amazing process of birth. Psalm 139 says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, the womb. When I was woven together, we talked about how that's literal, in the depths of the earth your eyes saw my unformed body. Indeed, God's eyes are upon every birth and every abortion before birth. God's eyes are on each and every one of us. He loves us. Ecclesiastes says, as you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in the mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. You know, we don't understand the process of birth. We understand little bits and pieces here, but we don't get it all. But God knew. He knows. And he's taking care of it. Right now, there are many pregnant women here. And God is forming and fashioning that child inside the womb right now as we speak. Cells are developing. Each one of those cells is more complex than the space shuttle. Can you imagine making a space shuttle every few minutes? Yet, there are hundreds and thousands of these things being formed inside the mother's womb. Let me ask you guys something. If God is so concerned about knitting that child together inside your womb right now, you women, how much more is he concerned about what you're doing with your life right now? How much more is he concerned about the health of the body of Christ? 
And when the baby is born, that placenta separates. Now, there are over 20 arteries. There are 20 arteries that are attached to the placenta and the mother. Now, we're not talking veins. We're talking arteries, the blood, you know, pumping over a half gallon of blood a minute. And when the baby is born, those arteries are broken apart. It's been said that giving birth is the largest wound that anybody has ever had and survives from. 20 arteries ripped open, yet the mother doesn't bleed to death. Why? Because another happy accident occurred just like that, so that as soon as those arteries are broken, there are muscles that constrict and close off the blood flow. And that's just part of the amazing aspect that goes on here. When those things are separating the blood, the blood never did flow to the baby. It was only getting nutrients from the mother's blood, but the blood wasn't flowing through the the lungs and everything of the baby yet. We'll talk about that in a moment. So that's just a piece of it. The other amazing thing that just happened to be, you know, something that took place, a separate enzyme. Look at all these amazing enzymes that just happened to evolve. Has to make sure that the baby can get out of the mother's womb. Because you see, you women, you were created to have kids, but not right now. I mean, if you had to have a baby just now, it had never happened. You couldn't get the baby out. But God has created these three seams that an enzyme starts to deteriorate and loosen those seams up so that your hips can literally separate. Yeah, you're not breaking bones, but they separate naturally because of an enzyme. And that's how a woman can have a child, and God knew that that was going to need to be there. Now, like I said, this prenatal circulation, while the baby is in the womb, the blood bypasses the lungs of that baby. But as soon as the baby is born, it's like, you know, there was a road that got closed. Because the mother is the one that the nutrients is getting from. No blood going through the lungs of the heart of, that, uh, of the baby. But all of a sudden, boom, and the lungs now, or the bypasses, and it goes to the baby's lungs. No blood was getting to the lungs. The whole time that baby is in your womb, no blood to the lungs of that baby. But now, that fast, the baby's got blood going to the lungs. I mean, it's been breathing in amniotic fluid. That's why they spank us when we're born. They want to, you know, to start taking in some breath. And that's what happens. No time for evolution there, is there? And then that placenta, which has been the kidney, the liver, the intestinal tract for that baby, that whole time of nine months being in the mother's womb, is now just discarded and thrown away. And now the baby's liver is being used. And the baby's kidney is being used. And the baby's intestinal tract is being used for the first time like that. Is that, that couldn't be an accident. The umbilical cord. This thing is, is even designed by God so that it doesn't kink. You know, my kinkless hoses kink. But not the umbilical cord because God has made it with a substance that keeps it from kinking so that it can move around without cutting off the supply of nutrients to the, to the baby. And every single one of you sitting here, this is how you came about. God's hand was in this. For you even sitting here, being alive, God's hand was in that. It's not some evolutionary chance process. You're not here without God's hand directing and being a part of your life here today. Matthew 10 tells us, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet 
Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You know, Paige talked about wars going on today. I think there's a lot of wars going on in people's lives today of feeling, why am I here? What am I doing in this job? I just go to work every day and I never, you know, I'm not doing anything for the Lord. I want news. I want you guys to have an understanding of something here. I don't care what job you have. You're in ministry. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a traveling speaker and evangelist to have a ministry. You have a ministry right now. Wherever God has placed you. And he knows not only the hairs of your head, but he knows every need, every care, every hurt, every desire. You may think, oh, I'm not a pastor. I'm not whatever. But no ministry is too insignificant or too unimportant. God wants you where he has you. And he will call and lead if he needs you to go somewhere else. As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You know, I think sometimes we we take these parts of the body that seem stronger and we expect them to do all the work. Sometimes we think, "Uh, well, I'm not the pastor. And so we expect Pastor Brett to do all the work. No, this is, guys, if only one part of the body is doing the job, we've got problems, don't we? Romans tells us, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ... We who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. See, every one of you is part of this body. Pastor is not the body of this church. All of you are a part of the body of this church. And if we have one giant head, if pastor gets too cocky, there's a problem. If you get too cocky, there's a problem. If you think you're too insignificant and you're no use to the body, there's a problem. This body has to work together to function properly. Just as everything had to work properly in order for you to be here today, in order for this church to continue, in order for the body of Christ to grow and be healthy, things need to work properly. We are literally held together, even by Christ. Many of you have probably heard of of laminin. Louis Giglio is is known for talking about this a lot. But bottom line is, there is laminin, which is a protein. It's kind of like a biological glue. It literally holds our cells together. And, and, I mean, you can Google it. It looks just like this. It's a cross. This, This protein is a cross, and it's what holds all of our cells together. Your cells would just fall apart without this. And I think that that is a good picture that God shows us that without the body of Christ, or without, I should say, Christ and His Spirit holding the body of Christ together, we would fall apart. Frankly, I see that happening in churches. I see that Christ, the head, 
is removed from the churches and sometimes, and we have too many heads or big heads or whatever the case might be. And you know what? The body can't hold together because Christ isn't doing the holding together, but we're trying to do it. But that's what happens. You know, Colossians tells us, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, in Christ Jesus. All things hold together. That is what's holding us together today. The word of God, Jesus Christ. And we all need to be standing on that word to hold life house together. To hold the body of Christ in this community together. We need to be standing on that word. You know, sometimes I hear all kinds of bickering and things that are going on in churches, even here at Lifehouse. And I think... That is not what the Bible says the body of Christ is to behave as. If one of us thinks that we're weak, if one of us thinks that we're better than the other, we're going to have problems. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity, the Bible says, among yourselves as you follow Christ, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are many issues that divide churches today. Some of them probably should. Sinful things. But there are many non-sinful things that go on in the body of Christ. Just weaker or, 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 or different parts, different members of the same body who see things differently. And as a result, the church is being divided. That's not unity. That's not what God wants. He wants us to be united. And there is only one thing that can unite us. The love of Jesus Christ and His Word. And that's what it takes. It takes for us to say, you know what, God, I am willing to follow you and your word regardless of my opinion. I am willing to submit to you, God. I am willing to be wronged. I am willing to be a little pinky or maybe even the hair on somebody's big toe. If that's the purpose that you have for me. Ephesians 4 says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. It says to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. You see, you say, there has to be an arm, there has to be a hand, there has to be a leg, there has to be feet in order for us to be united. If, if the church was just one big arm, we wouldn't get much accomplished. We couldn't get anywhere. Couldn't even speak. There has to be a mouth. There has to be feet to travel. There have to be hands to serve. There have to be eyes to see and have that discerning spirit. We need all of it. It says, and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And I'll tell you what, guys, I've been just as guilty as probably any of you sitting out there where I thought my way has been the right way, that I thought that my part of the body has been more important than another part of the body, where, where I've thought that, that you know this leader or that pastor or that person in the church is, is, is doing something that I just don't think is right. 
And I've had to ask myself, well, are they still a part of the body? Is what they're doing sinful? If it's not, maybe I need to be quiet because maybe I'm trying to be a part of the body that I'm not called to be. And I've had to repent of that many times in my life. Ephesians says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. And that hope is Jesus Christ. I tell you, I am so unworthy to be up here even having the privilege to share God's creation and His Word with you today. I'm no better than any of you. But we're here by one hope. That though I'm a, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. You may, as I said, think that you're just some indispensable body part. You're not. We need every one of you here. And some of you are just saying, I'm so weak, I'm so indispensable that I'm not even going to get involved in the church. But no, God says, we need you. You need to be plugged in to the body. And it's not being plugged into the placental nutrients of the mother. It's being plugged into the Holy Spirit and His Word and receiving the power of God so that through Christ we can do all things. And when we are plugged into that Spirit, when we are plugged into His Word, we are plugged into His love, we're going to love one another. And we're going to look at these parts of the body that maybe we've been saying, oh, I'm much better than you, you little pinky. You can't do anything. It's the thumb that's important. I think maybe the thumb needs to go and apologize to the pinky. And maybe the pinky at times needs to go and apologize to the thumb. But I'll tell you what, if we, you know, we just went through the National Day of Prayer and we always hear, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. It's not just for a country, guys. It's for a church. It's for the body of Christ. If we will humble ourselves, not think more highly of ourselves than we ought, and we go and we look at all the people that maybe we have wronged, maybe not just in this church, but maybe it's at work, maybe it's in the family, if we will humble ourselves and say, you know what, I don't have all the answers. I am sorry. I just want to love you. I just want to share Christ's love with you. Now, I'm not saying that we have to ignore and and love past sins. We have a responsibility for that, too. So, so keep this in balance. I understand sin needs to be addressed. But I think a lot of things that we're fighting amongst the body of Christ are non-sinful issues, opinions. And sometimes, you know, when things don't work properly, things go quite wrong. You can be born immature. But you know what? Things can be resolved. That can work out. You know, but Colossians tells us, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen. His unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He's lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Pride comes before destruction. And every one of us here, myself included, struggle with pride from time to time. Even the most humble man here struggles with pride. All of us do. And when we do, that's when we have lost connection. That's when something has gone wrong. When Satan tries to get that pride in our lives, something's been disconnected from the body, from the head, which is Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1, In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ 
might be for the praise of his glory. You know what I would love to see? I would love to see this church be one of those who were the first to hope in Christ. One of the first to say, you know what? We don't have all the answers, but we are going to be a light to this community. Because we are going to stand firm. We are going to be humble. We are going to be loving. We are going to be forgiving. And we are going to let the Holy Spirit lead us away with the flesh. Away with the arguing. Away with the fighting. Away with the the bickering. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He endured so much more than what we have to go through. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. When did he choose you? He chose you before he even created this world. Even before, as you were that sparkle in your father's eye, he knew you. And if he is concerned about he, how he formed you in the womb, as I said before, how much more is he concerned about how we are being knit together today? into the body of Christ. Because you see, that was just the first process. It's not over. He's still working on us, isn't He? He's still knitting us together in our mother's womb. But rather than our mother's womb in this, whatever this would be called of this world, we are foreigners here. Foreigners in this world. And we're waiting to be birthed again. And have new life in the kingdom of God with Jesus. Where there will be no more premature births or big heads or any problems like that. And so I hope that I haven't sound condes- been sounding condescending here to you today. I hope it hasn't been one of these things that, that, uh, that uh, I, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm giving you a harsh rebuke. I'm not. But as I travel around throughout the country, and even as I come home here, I see bickering. I see problems going on. I see something wrong in the body. It's an easy fix. It's an easy cure. We go to Jesus, and we say, I'm only a little part. God, continue to knit us together to be united in Christ Jesus, to be united in the Word to be united in love. May we be encouraging one another this week and the weeks to come. May we repent if we need to do that to people we've wronged. And Most of all, may we thank God through His Son, Jesus Christ, that though we have fallen and though we have many scars in this body, they have all been healed and taken and cleaned away just like those scars are eaten up. Jesus has taken all the scars of your life and they're not there anymore. He has dissolved them. As far as the east is from the west, our sins have been forgiven. The process of birth is only just a little bit, a little picture of our whole life. If everything wasn't just right, you wouldn't be here. And if God wasn't involved in your life, you wouldn't be here either. Every breath we take, 
we can give thanks to God because it comes from Him. Let's use that breath wisely. Let's use it to go spread the gospel. And the gospel being spread isn't just saying, Jesus loves you. Sometimes spreading the gospel is going and loving people. That's the body. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That we're not here by an accident. That we're not here to build up our own houses and toys, but we're here for a purpose. A purpose that you have given us. A purpose that you are driving. That you are the CEO of. We have no strength in ourselves and we are not worthy to be able to have this purpose, but we are grateful for it. Lord, as we go this week, may you be the strength in us to do what needs to be done, whether it be repent, whether it be to to encourage, whether it be to to move forward and, and just stand up when we've been sitting down. Whatever it might be for each of us, Lord, may you be the strength. And we will always remember that it is through Christ and through Christ alone that we can do all things. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.